Wine and True Crime lovers. I'm your host, Brandy. And I'm Jamie. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. We do what we do so we can see you. Thanks for being here, friends, for Season 2, Episode 7, The Stephenville Murder. Well, Jamie, here we are, Season 2, Episode 7, crazy, crazy week here in Texas. How are you doing? Fine. I'm hanging in there, you know, (laughs) just like roll with, I mean, much better than earlier in the week. That's for sure. I know. I know. And we might sound a little differently today. We're drinking something a little different today. So Jamie and I, because of this crazy weather, the roads are not adequate really enough for us to kind of get together today. So we're doing this remotely in our own houses. Um, So this is a little different for, for, you know, for us. We're usually sitting at the same table, drinking the same wine, um, looking right at each other. But Thankfully for, you know, the world of technology, we are able to still bring an episode to you guys. So, um, yeah. 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 Better be safe than sorry. We didn't know what was going to be like today. We didn't know all week long if we were going to have power. We didn't know what the hell was going on. But so here we are in the comforts of our own home. Drinking. And chatting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about what we're drinking since we are in two different places. We're going to be drinking two different wines. So double double your fun today. Um, huge thanks. And by the way, guys, if you are in Texas and you were dealing with all of that, I hope everyone, I know there's a lot of people are still without water right now, which is, ugh, I can't imagine being without water how, how, or having to boil your water. I, I feel so very fortunate that we haven't had these kind of issues where I am, but Um, I know that there are a lot of people out there still suffering through broken pipes, no water, electricity is just now going back on. So I hope everyone is staying safe, staying warm. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to the summer. (laughs) Yeah, never never thought I'd say that. That's for sure. The 100 (laughs) plus degrees. I'm sure we'll be over that too once it comes around, but you know. sure. All right, guys. Well, huge thanks to our members of Winos and Crimos Club. Um, If you want to join Winos and Crimos, just go to our website, TexasWineAndTrueCrime.com, and scroll down to Kofi and join us there. So we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, You know, you get to hear your name on our show. You help keep the decanter full each and every month. We're planning so much cool stuff. We have a collaboration coming up next week that we can't wait to share with you guys. Um, So please go to our website, click on Kofi so you can learn more about being a member of Winos and Crimos. So the crime we chose for this week is the murder of Suzanne Woods. The wine that I'm drinking this week comes from our friends at Salado Winery. I felt like it was only um, appropriate to open Diamondback. I'm opening Diamondback this morning. It's a red wine. It's actually a blend, Jamie, of Merlot and cab and it's super super yummy i love the color already i've been sniffing that thing tasting that thing this morning (laughs) it's uh it's it's really really good so i look forward to um sharing more about salado at the at the end and before we go any further before i let jamie introduce her wine big shout out to my sister casey she is getting married today Yep, that's right. We are recording, and then I'm running out of here to get actually a dress put on, makeup, and hair done. So uh, tight squeeze today, tight squeeze, but we're going to do it. Congratulations, Casey and Richard. Many, many wishings and blessings for your future. 
All right, Jamie, what are you drinking today? I am drinking Cooper and Thief from California. I don't have a Texas wine here. And so I had to drink what I had um, at the house. So it's a delicious red wine blend. Um, And they age it in uh, bourbon whiskey barrels. So it's got like a, almost like a, a... they say dark and jammy with toasted vanilla notes. And the vanilla is very distinct in this. And it is delicious. And now y'all know how I am about red wine. So for me, like this, this is definitely one of my faves. Good. Well, I have to try that. I'm, I'm just reading the back of the that. bottle. There's like writing all. Yeah. I'll have to post a picture of it because the bottle is pretty cool. There's all kinds of like little notes and stuff on little descriptions all over it. So it's pretty neat. It's delicious. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, and of course, hang out with us till the end, you guys, you can catch our wine readings um, about our yummy wines we're sipping on today and learn more about them. All right. So before we jump into the show, Jamie, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find us on social media? Sure. They can get us on Instagram at Texas Wine and True Crime. You can also go to our website, TexasWineAndTrueCrime.com. And of course, you can come and find us on Facebook and join our group. Just search Texas Wine and True Crime and click join. And then you can come in and join in the fun. Yay. Yeah, we love our group. Um, It's growing and we are, uh, yeah, we like People are now posting things and sharing things they like. So I love that. You guys keep posting, keep sharing. That's what we created the group for. And if you listen on Apple and enjoy the show, please hop on. Give us five stars. It can only help our show. Um, And make sure you subscribe because your phone can just magically download that next episode, which you guys, we now put out a bonus episode about Rachel Cook last week. I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, We're going to be doing more missing news, more disappeared, unfortunately, maybe um, people that have not been found yet. So if you have a case in mind or something that just triggers you or just something that, um, you know, a case that you just can't solve or just something that just, you know, if there's that case out there that you're just like, man, I wish, I wish people would talk about this more. Please, please let us know what that is. Um, We always want to make sure that we are covering not only really popular cases, we kind of decided to do the opposite with our podcast. We really wanted to get people, um, you know, victims, missing people to really bring light um, on our show. So if there is someone maybe in a town you grew up in, maybe someone you knew personally, please, please go ahead and email us um, at team at texaswinetruecrime.com and let us know um, how we can shed light on their case. Um, And don't forget, go to our website, sign up for exciting news, because this Thursday, February 25th, is our first happy hour murder hour. We are so very excited about this. We've had um, several RSVPs. I think we're going to have a really great group. And guys, it's going to be it's going to be fun. So in order to get that link, I need your email address. So go ahead, go to the website, um, put uh, fill out the exciting news so we can get that email and get that over to you. You excited about this, Jamie? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see everybody on there and just enjoying, you know, it's going to be good. 
It's going to be real good. Yeah. So come just join us. Bring your favorite cocktail. Bring your favorite wine. And we're going to be talking some true crime. And the topic is going to be Casey Anthony. All right, guys. So, Jamie, are you ready to jump into this week's case, the Stephenville murder? This one was so crazy, like really, really crazy with all the characters involved. And yeah. So, yeah, let's go. Okay, let's do it. All right, so let's sip some wine and talk some crime. All right, friends, this week we are talking about the the, um, murder of Susan Woods out of Stephenville, Texas. Now, of course, we want to give some facts about Stephenville to all of you not from Texas. So these were kind of interesting. Um, So number one, Stephenville is actually considered cowboy capital of the world. It is said to be home to more rodeo cowboys and cowgirls than any other place on earth. Did you know that, Jamie? Um, well, not before I read about the case. I only learned about it like this week. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Who knew? That is amazing because, yeah, that's cow- that's a big claim to be cowboy capital It's a of the small world. town. So It's a small town, yeah. It's kind of crazy they'd have that many. Mm-hmm. Cowboys and cowgirls. Okay, and number two, it is home to Tarleton State University. I did know this because I had a friend who went to Tarleton. That's the only reason I know that. (laughs) Only reason. (laughs) And number three, you have a one in 742 chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime in Stephenville. Your odds are pretty good, guys. (laughs) Pretty good. (laughs) What was it? One and what? 742. Oh, okay. It's getting better. That's much better than it's the so last much better. Weeks. So much better. I feel was like it one, yeah. in, one in ten last week. <laughs> oh yeah, one in ten. No, that was that was the two weeks ago. Last week was better. One I think it was last week it was like one in seventy-two. I think so. That's it was getting better. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going up. We're going up. Okay. We're we're sending you to safer places to go in Texas. All right. And of course, my longtime friend and listener of the show, Mickey. Mickey, thank you for tuning in. She resides in Stephenville. She always she posted the pictures of the the first snowstorm, Jamie, before this one. And they had a ton of snow. So I was jealous. And so I told her, "Okay, I'm coming down one weekend, Mickey, and you're going to show me around Stephenville because I have never been there. So I'm going to have to check it out. All right, guys. So on July 28th, 1987, Susan's dad, Joe, finds out that she has not shown up for work in the past two days. Knowing his daughter's work ethic, he knew something just wasn't right. He drives to her home and he finds his daughter. He finds her like no father should ever find their child, nude, slumped over in the bathtub and deceased. What happened to Susan Woods? All right, Jamie. Strange case. Yeah. Really, really, really strange because, yeah, well, once we get into it, I'll, I'll chime in and just be like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just very bizarre. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk. Okay. So this crime was committed almost 35 years ago. So it's, it's um, you know, we're talking 1987. Um, so going back a little ways, this is a solved case, but it was a cold case for a long time. For about 20 years, it was a good yeah. case. Mm-hmm. So at the time, Susan Woods was 30 years old at the time of her murder. 
Um, she had just filed papers for a divorce after six years of marriage. Okay. She was a working woman. She had her own home. People considered her very friendly, very responsible, a little shy, but people liked her. Um, yeah. yeah. And, And so when she didn't show up for work those couple of days, and then her father ends up talking to the employer, they know something is terribly wrong. Um, especially that nobody had heard from her in the, in those couple days. Um, People say she was really starting to look forward to a new life away. Um, And we'll, we'll talk about what happened with the divorce papers and, and when her murder happened and just sequence of events. We always talk about sequence of events for people and how it affects lives. And it really just affected so many lives, I think um, in this case. So, so we'll talk about that in a minute, but she was 30 years old, had just been married for six years, was ready to get out of divorce, had a job, had a house. Um, she, people just liked her. Um, she had lots of friends. She grew up in Stephenville, born and raised in Stephenville. Um, and so based on what people knew about her, they said it was very unusual for her to not have been seen or heard from in days. Okay. So now, Jamie, we know that the father spoke with the employer, right? So we know actually two full days went by before that third day of her not showing up, right? Right. And that's what tipped them off because she was very responsible about showing up for work. And they were like, this is not like her. Right, right. So, yeah. So this is so some time has gone by, which we will learn. We'll talk about later. Um, So that's when Susan's dad's like, "Okay, something's not right. I'm going to go check on my daughter. Um, Susan was Joe's only daughter. Uh, Jamie, hearing some of the investigators and people involved in this case, they talk about the emotions and the pain the dad went through. Remember, this is Stephenville, Texas. And we'll talk about, I mean, 12,000 people. I I was looking up stats about Stephenville. And it looks like about 12,000 people lived there in 1986. So it's very mm-hmm. small. People know each other. Um, people knew Joe. Investigators show up after he calls police after finding his daughter. I mean, he's just broken up. And it was and it was really sad. I, I looked at some of the interviews that these investigators did. They were getting teary-eyed, talking about their friend Joe, and just talking about the murder of Susan in general. And then for this case to go as cold as it did for so long, it really tore this town up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because they were. They were a tight-knit community. Yeah, they were. And, you know, um, and then, you you know, finding his daughter, right? Got forgotten, mm. you know. <sighs> then you find it, find her. And then yeah. you're processing that daily, right? You're processing that all the time in your mind. And I know I say that in a very strange way, but Jamie, you know, I've lost a child, right? Mm-hmm. Different circumstances, but I've, I've lost a child. And that feeling... I'd never wish on my worst enemy. And when you find them in a compromised way, like, like he did, like he found his daughter, my heart just broke for him and and that family. Um, So, you know, my, my heart just goes out to them, to them still. So, but after he finds her, he does call the police, right? Um, So they come and they're starting to examine the crime scene. So from the very beginning, they just knew something was not right. 
Okay. So we just mentioned that she had recently filed for divorce after six years of marriage. So let's talk a little bit about her ex-husband, Michael Woods. I say ex, but it actually never, the divorce never actually happened. I mean, we'll talk about why, but uh, so his name is Michael Woods and he is going to come up a lot in this case, a whole lot in this case. Mm -hmm. So Michael was originally from Indiana. Um, He had moved to Stephenville, but he didn't look like everyone else in Stephenville, right? He wore leather jackets. He rode a motorcycle. He was sort of the rock and roll guy. Like we just said, Stephenville is the cowboy capital of the world. So <laughs> most of most men walking around there probably are wearing boots, cowboy hats, looking like a cowboy, right? <laughs> right. Well, it was kind of funny, though, because he mentioned at one point that they made fun of his hair. And I was like, well, his hair looks like Travis Tritt to me. He had like that long mullet thing going on, right? He did. He looked, he reminded me of Travis Tritt. And I was like, why are they making fun of him? It's like Travis Tritt is a big country boy. I love Travis Tritt. Well, you probably know why. Well, Travis Tritt probably didn't grow up in Stephenville, right? Smaller community, a little judgy. I mean, we might need to see where Travis Tritt was from and see if they accepted the long hair. And then when he, uh, when he started to come onto the scene because that was a big thing. I mean, look at Billy Ray Cyrus. He had the same kind yeah. of mullet long hair. Right. So Breaky heart. Come on now. <laughs> maybe that was like an okay thing in like Tennessee. I think that's where, I think that's where he's from is Tennessee. Yeah. Or maybe the mullet came in. No, it's, it's definitely eighties and nineties. Oh, know. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, but they didn't really, he never fit in there. That's what he'll say. Yeah. He'll just say he never fit. He, he never fit in. Um, he never felt at home there. He knew that was Susan's home. She, like we said, she was born and raised there. She loved it there. So <clears throat> now I think it was really hard for him to find a job. He was a musician, but again, he was like, I, I think they said what he did like part a little country, but he was mainly rock and roll. Right. Right. Yeah. He was a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, just like. <laughs> so exactly what they said. Yep. Yeah. And so, she was too. She wasn't. She, she was. wasn't. She was into like cars and like muscle cars and stuff, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. she really wasn't. She didn't really care about the whole country scene either that much, which is probably what attracted each other to each other, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely was a little different than the rest, I think, of the guys she had dated in the past, possibly, or was involved with. But they were they were sort of smitten with each other. And, you know, like we said, they end up getting married. But he was having just a tough time during this marriage. She was definitely the breadwinner. We know that. Right. Yeah. So she was making the money. It was very hard for him to find a job. And his he was a musician, but his music wasn't really widely accepted in Stephenville. Um, So he just struggled again with the long hair. Like you mentioned, they always said, Oh, you have your hair is too long. Your mustache is too long. He just, he was just having a tough time there. Yeah. Um, But they, people did say that they were in love. I mean, that's the hard thing about this is that I think there was a lot of love there. I think he loved her a whole lot. The way he speaks about her. Um, You know, I think that Everything was good except the fact he hated living there. I mean, he hated living there and she loved it. And that can cause some problems in a marriage. Yeah. Well, and he had no job. They said her friend said that he went to the gym a lot. They kind of made him sound to be like kind of a bum, you know, like mm-hmm. her friends were very keen of him. No, they weren't. Yeah. And, and some of them would even say like she was scared of him. 
you know? Yeah. And so, again, Susan is not here to talk about that when it's just other people. But um, I think, you know, they're young. They're married. They're just starting their life. You know, I'm maybe it just wasn't. I mean, I, it's funny. I want to I want to say something real quick, though. I was uh, watching a Joe Kenda special the other day and his wife, <laughs> Joe, Joe Kenda's wife, who I've never seen before. And she yeah. was talking about how they ended up in Colorado Springs and how he built his entire career for 40 years in Colorado Springs. But it was basically like she had gone to him and said they were living in Philadelphia. He was working for his father's. Um, company and he wasn't making any money and his wife was like you need to find something else to do or I'm gonna leave you and they had a brand new baby and Joe Kenda it was just this so it was so cute because now they're you know older they've been married for so long so they're telling this story after all these years but that's how they ended up in Colorado Springs he he applied for a job as a police officer because he told her I think I've I think I want to be a police officer I always have and that is the first place that called him back that's why he went wow. to Colorado Springs, and that's how that's where he stayed for his entire career. I love Joe Kenda, by the way. You'll hear me I was talk a say, lot for about those, him. Yeah, I was say for those that don't know who Joe Kenda is, he's he's a very uh, famous detective um, from Colorado Springs that had his own show on the ID channel. He's now retired, but that's yes. That's who Joe Kenda is for those of y'all that don't know. <laughs> Brandy and I talk about him like he's our uncle or something. Oh, yeah. We're he's like, my, we're related. Like, yeah, I'm pretty I'll, sure I'll, we're related. His personality, <laughs> my person, I'm sure we're related. But anyway, so I thought that was a really, a really cute story. But you can see how there could be a little bit of a rift in the marriage if someone is unhappy with the situation, mm-hmm. living financially because of the city. I mean, sometimes there just needs to be a change, right? Well, yeah, he goes ahead and he makes that change. He Michael decides he is going back to Indiana once his brother calls. So his brother calls him and says, hey, I started to invest in some properties down here. Do you and remember this guy had no job? Okay, so his brother tells him, hey, I've got work for you. I I can keep you busy. And he always wanted to go back to Indiana. And he did. He took her car, went to Indiana, said he was going to go help his brother with renovating. And I think he just kind of got back into his groove in Indiana and decided he wanted to stay. Right. Well, he took her like 65 Mm -hmm. Mustang, which was like her everything, right? Along with like her fur rabbit coat or something weird and some trinket, like little figurines, some figurines, Mm -hmm. which was a bizarre thing to take. But that's what he took. And... I guess we could tell you why later on, why he took that stuff, but I don't never, yeah. I never found out why he took the coat, but I did find out why he took the figurines and the car was really weird too, but. Well, you can shed some light on that. Um, when we talk about, when we talk about that, cause, um, there he, you know, they talked about the different, I think they collected crystals, right? Mm-hmm. So they found mm-hmm. crystals on him that, they believe was were taken from the home and so that's the whole pinning the murder on him type of thing that you were in the house but then he says nope we actually collected these together and then when i left i took my half basically right 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 yeah all right guys so now he's in indiana susan files for divorce because she basically tells him if you don't come back it's over it's over if you don't come back so 
That's exactly what she did. She decides to file for divorce in 1987. But guys, it was never finalized because she was found dead just five months later. Mm. All right. So she files, never is completed, um, and is killed five months later. Okay. So let's talk about the murder um, and what they found in Susan's home that day. So, Jamie, we know the the murder was, was brutal. Okay. Um, she yeah. was believed to have been dead for at least two days before her body was found. Okay. So they know this is that she had been there for a couple of days. Her nude body was slumped over the bathtub. Her arms were actually tied behind her back, which they believed was a tank top, a shirt she was wearing. They believed that that he used it to basically tie her hands behind her back. Um, they also believe that the way the body was found, that it was definitely a so- sexually motivated crime. So with the whole arm tie thing, okay? So the basically what, the, what I read and what they described is it was above her shoulder blades. Like her hands were like higher up. So then she would not be able to basically like reach down, pull herself out of position. They said it was just so weird the way her arms were, but it was... It had to be painful for one to have your arms up that high above your head tied to your wrist, right? Do you remember they talked about how she was tied yeah. up? It was almost like a yeah. weird hog tie, but with no mm-hmm. feet, you right. know? Well, and yeah, later on you find out why why it was like that because of how, what, how the crime happened, right? Right. Tell us. Go ahead. Shed some light. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I, I didn't know. I was like, don't want to give it all away. Um, because the person, yeah, when when they killed her, she was already dead. Before she was tied up, before right. she was put in the tub, she was she was already killed. So it was it was almost like a setting setting the scene, which was weird because I don't know why you would need to set a scene of a murder. If you murder somebody, they're already murdered, right? Why do you have to make it look like you murdered them in a different way? Right. But that's what the, that's what they did. Yeah. And they also, so they also mentioned that there was ligature marks found around her neck. Right. So um, they were, so autopsy showed that she had been asphyxiated, right? But they right. weren't yeah. sure if it was from... Um, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but they found extension cords in the bedroom, right? They do believe it started mm-hmm. in the bedroom. This is when they first started investigating the case, right? They walk in living and we'll tell you, we'll explain what they found in the living room and so forth, but it looked pretty normal. It didn't look in disarray. They go to the bedroom, total different scene, right? There is ex- extension cords everywhere. The bed had moved back from the wall. There were scuff marks all over the floor, which indicated to them that there was some sort of struggle on the bed, moving the bed back and forth. There was a pillow that was found that had makeup on it, right? And as girls, we know, if you're wearing black makeup, okay, there's only certain parts of your body you're probably going to have that on. Your eyeshadow, your mascara, right? You're not going to have mm-hmm. black on your face, or you know what I mean. There was a very, there's a very distinct color um, on that pillowcase on the pictures that we saw, um, and they, and they thought maybe her face had been pushed into the pillow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was basically like a face print, and right. yeah. So lots. I know we're kind of jumping around here, but there's just this this case is just there's no. <laughs> 
there's no way to talk about it in a really not synchronized way almost because it is so crazy and it would probably Mm -hmm. take us three hours to like actually lay it out you know it's it's just so bizarre so we really always just try to set the scene for you guys when it comes to telling the these stories because we want just like when we do our research we want to put ourselves there we want to see and feel what they were seeing and feeling whether they're the investigator whether the victim whether the perpetrator so okay so it's july in texas right hot the investigators said it was very hot in that house um they walk in the room the front room looks totally fine nothing in disarray but they found cigarette butts and they said susan was not a smoker they found cigarette butts in an ashtray, and then they found Coca-Cola cans inside the living room as well. They said Susan did not drink Coca-Cola. Um, so they had, oh, and fingerprints. My God, they found so many fingerprints in that house, palm prints in that house. They had they had all kinds of DNA, but back then, there wasn't anything to run it against, right? Right, right. So no system, no system. So they had so much back. I mean, I feel like this case would have been solved so much faster if it would have been in a time of DNA um, because it was really a careless act, really a criminal act. They, I don't, you know what I mean? It it just wasn't, it just, it was sloppy. It was so sloppy. It was so sloppy. Um, But unfortunately we are back um, in um, 1987. And so yeah, DNA just isn't what it is today. So they honed in though on the soft drinks, they honed in on the cigarette butts, um, but the bedroom was clearly in disarray compared to other parts of the house. Right. Okay, so they find the extension cords. They look at the scuff marks. They know that the bed was moved back and forth. They see the pillowcase with the makeup on it. But then she is actually found in the bathtub, right? That's where her dad um, finds her. So friends, so investigators start talking to people, right? Her friends start telling them, listen, Susan was not the type of person to bring a stranger home after a night out. There was no sign of a break-in, right? No sign of forced entry onto the front door. And so they believe she knew this person, Jamie. Whoever it was, they believe she knew him. Right. And then they're still thinking it's Michael at this point. So we're like, well... Yes. You know, he's he's obviously going to have access to the house. He probably still has a key or she would like let him in, you know. So, yeah, they're thinking there's no way this was somebody that she didn't know. Right. And so from the scene, they're thinking started in the bedroom, moved to the bathroom. And then that's where and that's where she's um, eventually found. But they find one one key thing that is it becomes promising and ends up and it ends up really breaking this case wide open later on in time. But the palm print, there was a big palm Mm -hmm. print that was found on the side of the bathtub that they knew that if they could just find who this palm print belonged to, they would have their killer. So like they said, they have this from day one, you know, they have that palm print from day one, just nothing to compare it to. Okay. So now they are in, they're under investigation, right? Now they're ready to investigate, talking to people, interviewing friends, interviewing families. 
asking neighbors if they saw anyone, heard anything. Um, And one neighbor will tell police that they saw a large man driving a truck in the neighborhood around the time that they believe she had been killed. Okay, so let's talk about persons of interest. There were two main persons of interest, not including her husband. Her husband was a person of interest, of course, but there's also two other gentlemen that became persons of interest in this case. Um, Both of them admitted they had been in her house before. Both of their fingerprints had been found in the house, but neither of them matched the palm print on the bathtub. And this is how they were eventually excluded. I mean, that that palm print was the big one for them. So, but these two guys... Both smoke cigarettes, both drank Coca-Cola. They, you know, their their male DNA was, their fingerprints were found in her house. Um, but again, there were a lot of people's fingerprints found in her home just because they said she always had people over and she was friendly. So, but these guys are eventually eliminated as suspects. So where does that bring us back to? Back to her husband. Mike. Mike. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So even though they were looking at other people in this case, friends, family, even some of the police, they were absolutely convinced that her husband murdered her. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. The friends were like, there's no doubt in our mind he did this. There's no doubt. No doubt. And they, I mean, Cindy and Gloria were uh, for sure, like, those were her best friends. They're like, he did this. He did this. There's hands down. There's no one else that would have done this to her. Yeah. And that's the, those two women are the ones that were saying, you know, she was scared of him. He, he was kind of a loser, a moocher, you know, like Jamie said in the beginning, they were not big fans of this guy. And again, we, of course we know this, right. With all of these true crime cases, we talk about research. We know that most people are killed by someone they know, Right. More often than someone that they don't know. Okay. So when there's a spouse involved, that statistic goes like way up. Okay. So now not only do you, you know, she's not just someone who's just dating around. She's actually married to someone. Okay. So that, that person becomes number one on police lists only because they have the most access to them, right? They see them the most. They talk to them the most. They know their schedules. So these, so he was hot on the list from the beginning, hot on the list, but he wasn't there. He's in Indiana. He's in Indiana. So that's what he keeps telling him. I was in Indiana. I was in Indiana. Okay. With his brother hanging out. (laughs) That's what he said. I was with my brother hanging out. And, um, but, 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 but we hear it all the time. Somebody drives across the country to go and murder someone, makes it back to their state in time to come up with an alibi. So this is not uncommon for someone to say, you know what? They've pissed me off bad enough. I'm driving back to Texas and I'm going to murder her. And then I'm driving back to Indiana. So totally plausible. Okay. And so easy. And so easy. And they have to look into this. Yeah, well, there's no tollways to like track you. There was no cell phones to track you. So back then, you could have easily made that trip, killed That's someone, right. and been back. Do you remember that case? And and I don't mean to get off course, but I just had. Do you remember that case with the woman? Was it the woman or the man who drove from like somewhere to Florida and like 
had pee bottles in their car because they didn't oh, stop. Oh, that was the NASA girl with the diaper? Yes, the, the diaper. That's what it was. Freaky. <laughs> freaky. God. That, that chick was a loony Dude. Diaper. God. Yeah. Didn't want to stop to pee, so she wore a diaper. I'm like, what is this, New Year's Eve in, in <laughs> Times Square? You get to wear a diaper. <laughs> No, I just want to go murder somebody. I just need to put a diaper on. Yeah. So oh my weird. God. So weird. So guys, we've learned to not put anything past anyone. Okay. So that's right. just the way we have to live our lives. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Watch out. <laughs> Crazies. Okay. So, but he was actually very cooperative and he answered questions. He told them, you know, this is where I was. I love her. I know she filed for divorce, but the reason that we were going to, you know, the reason for this is because we just had a difference of opinion of where we wanted to live. And, you know, they're young. So I don't know. It, it was a little, I feel like the cops were kind of like in this limbo with like, the two suspects they had were eliminated because of the palm print. Now they're going back to Michael. He's being very cooperative. They're confused. They're kind of like, oh, this guy's kind of nice. Like, mm, he's he's doing everything we're asking. Ask, we're, we can't find anything on him. Um, so he was more than cooperative. But it wasn't until 20 years after her murder that he was actually cleared as a suspect. Yeah, it took 20 years. But guys, Michael yeah. did not do this. He did not kill Susan. No. But the poor guy also went to trial. They took him to trial and found him guilty of the cause of her, like of her death. Right. And they were like for $750,000. And he's like, I didn't do this. I don't have $750,000 <laughs> to pay you for the civil case. Cause they, they, that's what they felt. They felt like he was guilty, but they, I, right. this poor guy, I just, oh my gosh. So, so, so sad. I mean, and it happens all the time. I mean, talk about witch, yeah, like a witch hunt for this poor guy, basically, you know, but yeah. I mean, unfortunately a lot of the evidence kind of pointed towards him other than that palm print, which to me would be like, you know, for for me, I would think that that would have like you know made him not uh, not guilty. I mean, your palm print doesn't. Well, match and them. here's the thing: the palm print. That's really what ended up clearing him, right? The one thing that they had yeah. to convict someone, that is the one thing that cleared him because eventually when they start to test the DNA on the cigarette butts, and we'll talk about this, they this was how they cleared Michael. They said, listen, if you're comparing these other people, if you're just sending things off, right, now DNA is more evolved. Now you're sending things off from cold cases to get looked at. Look at the palm print. Look at his fingerprints, compare mm -hmm. them, clear his name, do him some justice while, I mean, we're now 20 years in and that's exactly what they do. They run the right. palm print Thank against God. his print and he was cleared. And, yeah. but that's unfortunately 20 years later, that was the only way they could clear him. Yeah. Well, and that was to his own, like he was the one that ended up emailing the new detective that was on the case, right? Don Miller. He's like, look, this has been 20 years. I'm still crying every day. This is like breaking my heart. Mm -hmm. Please figure mm -hmm. out now that DNA is out. If he hadn't done that, they still would have thought that he did this. Like they would never probably even gone on further, you mm -hmm. know, like until this new detective came along and pulled off, you know, the box off the shelf. Right. 
So thankfully, 20 years after Michael Woods, we hope that you were able to continue your life um, because I can't imagine 20 years of being under scrutiny for a murder or something I did not do, knowing I didn't do it, and yet I can't get cleared for it. So, okay. So let's talk about DNA testing evolving right at this time. Um, The cigarettes they still had, the Coke cans they still had. So they decide, Stephenville police are like, okay, we're picking up cold case files from our from our department, and we're going to send some stuff off to get tested, including those cigarette butts. And well, they come back and it does have male DNA on them, right? So there's one, there's a good news, right? We know it's male DNA on the cigarettes. Um, and that's when, again, we talked about just the fe- the palm print. That's when he's cleared. But this is how long it takes to actually find the suspect. Not long after they clear Michael Woods, they get a phone call. There is a match to the fingerprints and to the palm print. All right, guys. So let's talk about the actual killer in this case. His name is Joseph Scott Hatley. Jamie, do you want to kind of tell us? Here's here's what I'm going to say about him before I let before I want Jamie to chime in. Guys, he was like the cut. Wasn't he like the cousin of her best friend? He was the first cousin to um, Cindy, right? To Cindy. Yes, Cindy. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so this guy like grew up there. They knew him. People in the town knew him. He had like this baby face about him. He was friendly. I mean, people liked this guy. Never on the radar. Nothing was, his name was never brought up. Um, But Jamie, I think I want you to start telling us a little bit about this guy and, and what you found out. So, yeah, basically, um, like you said, he was pretty much, they called him Scotty. That was his nickname. He went by his middle name and he was quiet. He was shy. He hung out, you know, he was the younger brother, right. To the girls. So, um, Cindy, Gloria and Susan all hung out together. And, uh, what was the other girl's name? Shoot. Which was his sister, Regina, Regina Regina was Scotty's sister. So the four girls were always hanging out together. And as Scotty was just kind of like that annoying little brother that just tagged along. We all had, we were either that sister or that brother, or we had that sister or that brother. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, he, uh, he, they knew him and he was just like, she's a cute, chubby little faced brother. And, um, he went off to the U S reserve. He moved back. He apparently had a very heavy drinking problem. Uh, And um, he just wasn't a good dude. So they come to find out. um, They start looking into him. And he's got a pretty good file on him. Like, he's done some really bad things. Um, So... I guess they were, I don't know. I don't even know if they were hanging out at that time or whatever, but, um, she, he, I guess in the file is what I should say in the file, they start to find out that he had started dating this other girl that lived next door. Her name was Shannon. 
Um, can't find her last name. She's never released her last name. Uh, but she was 15. He's 21. She thinks he's cool because he's partying. She's, you know, 15 and partying. And uh, they start dating. But they come to find out he's very controlling. Um, he would kind of like slap her around here and there. But again, being 15, she's just thinking, oh, you know, this is, I don't know if she thought it was normal. You know, I mean, no yeah. one should think that's normal. But I also think that she said that um, she, some stuff had happened to her growing up and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it was just this kind of crazy thing. Anyway, she ends up breaking it off with him. And so, you know, that was kind of just the end of it. Well, then he convinces her to, go out with her time. Let me come pick you up. I think she was at the laundromat. I know she was at the laundromat doing laundry. Mm -hmm. He comes and picks her up. He takes her to like a secluded park and pretty much beats her and rapes her for hours. Mm -hmm. Yep. This poor girl, Shannon, Mm -hmm. her neighbor, 15 years old. So she goes, well, he, she convinces him to not kill her. That's and right. she leaves her bra behind her banana clip. Remember those banana clips? We yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, bobby pins, just in case something happened to her. She was like, I, I need, I, I need to leave a trail. Right. You know? Um, well, thankfully he takes her back. He takes her back to the laundromat and drops her off. Says that if you do anything, you know, I'm going to come, I'm going to come find you. Right. Well, she goes home and she tells, and they go to the police station and they say, look, this is what this guy did. And he ends up getting away with it again. Mm -hmm. They said it because he claims it was just rough sex. Now Mm -hmm. the pictures of this poor girl, it was a little more than rough sex. She's black and blue. So I don't know what the hell's going on now at that police station, but it it was some crazy stuff. So anywho, so that's how they start to get like, so that is what ended up getting all this information to a file on this guy. And that's how they have all this stuff. Well, then after he does this, he moves away to Vegas or I don't even know if he moved to Vegas or he just went for a trip to Vegas, but it was only two weeks after he beat this girl that he robbed as a robbery in Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. And so that's how they get his fingerprints on file. That's how they get all this stuff. And then they got a hit immediately, right? And then they call the Stephenville police. And once Stephenville police get this file, right, get the file from the girl who reported um, the assault, get the file from where the robbery took place in Nevada, just looking at all of the different, from what this girl said in that file, they knew they had their guy, right? They were really confident that this guy was responsible for Susan's death. Oh, yeah, because once they get their hands on this jerk, they find out that not only has he done this to this poor girl, mm-hmm. not only has he basically, you know, raped her and beat her twice because it, she reported him twice, did the robbery in Vegas. Then they come to find out. So after the Vegas thing had happened, he had been married. He had moved to Round Rock. So that's what had happened. He moved to Round Rock, got remarried, and was now beating his poor wife that was in a wheelchair, beating her. He had two kids with this chick. Yeah. And, you know, now he's been beating her. And this poor lady is a disabled woman. 
and would get rape this, her, though. beat her. Right. And once Round Rock police go to her, like once they have identified him as a suspect in Susan and, the, you know, it's a match, right? They're pretty sure they have their guy. They go to his to his home in Round Rock and they start asking the wife questions and she just starts talking. He hits well, me. Yeah. He beat me. It was almost like her saving grace that these police were like there and she could tell her story. I mean, she started saying all kinds of stuff. Yeah. They were like her knight in shining armor. I mean, finally she was able, because I'm sure he was so controlling. She probably never had access to a phone. She has a wheelchair for crying out loud. I know. So it's not like she could escape. And he, meanwhile, he's doing all this in front of his two kids. He had two kids with this lady. So I don't know, man. This dude is some messed up stuff. And that is not even, this isn't even the end of it, you guys. This, yeah, it, it so gets, let's crazy. talk about, okay, so we already, okay, so he's a bad dude, right? Bad dude early on. Um, let's talk about how old he was, Jamie, at the time of Susan's murder. Um, why he murdered her, why he was there. And kind of just kind of how this case unfolded towards the end. Right. So he goes over to her house. Of course, she knows him. He knocks on the door. She lets him in. They go in and like hang out. They're literally just hanging out, watching TV. He's smoking cigarettes, drinking Coca-Cola, TV, just being normal. You know, she's just being friendly. They're na- they're, it's a small town, and she's known this guy for pretty much all of her life, you know? Um, he tries to make a move on her, and she slaps him, and he snaps. That's pretty much what happened. And that's what, and they inter- interviewed him, and that's exactly what they said. Something, again, well, he excuses it as a trigger, you know, whatever. Or he says that... Uh, Every time he ever did anything bad, he was either drunk or on drugs, which isn't an excuse. I mean, that to me is just a bunch of BS. Um, He even goes on to say that, you know, the evil is inside of you before any of that even like contributes. Like, you know, you're you're already evil. And then the alcohol and the and the drugs just enhance it. So. um, So, yeah, he basically just beats the crap out of her, strangles her suffocates her with the pillow which is where the makeup and like imprint on the pillow comes from then ties her up and places her in the bathtub to make it look like it was another type of murder right that is just so yeah like staging the scene of i know yeah yeah and he and he even says like he was waiting for police to come and like talk to him like he for sure every day like he was for sure that he was not going to get away with this Right. Crazy guy. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, they end up getting him. They they take him in. They start questioning him. Of course, he denies it at first. And then he starts like, you know, backpedaling going, oh, maybe my prints are in the house. I mean, I was over there a lot. And then he admits that he did have sex with her maybe 10, 12, 15 times, which is not true yeah uh because even her friend said that there's no way she like there's no way she didn't like young immature men and he was only like 20 something and she was i think he was 22 and she's 30 yeah Yeah. they were like no way she wouldn't she wouldn't have like gone out with a guy like that so anyway yeah so they finally arrest him 
And then he gets this whole great, amazing plan, I guess. Well, it, it just basically fell into his lap because his jailmate starts, you know, singing like a bird talking about how he killed these two people. So he goes to the cops and says, Hey, I've got, uh, I've got a deal for you guys. You know, if you're willing to give me this, I'm going to tell you that my roommate is up for capital murder because he killed two people. And so they go to the family, the, the prosecutors go to the family or I should say probably the defense. No prosecutors. Yeah. Cause the defense mm-hmm. is the one that would, you know? Yeah. So they go and they, um, they're like, Hey, you know, we can get this guy to admit that he killed Susan. Um, but he's only going to, he wants to, he wants a 20 year sentence. Mm-hmm. And so the family's like, mm-hmm, they don't know, you mm-hmm. know, but they, they go for it. They go for it. So he, that's what he gets. He gets a measly 20 years for killing Susan. They do tag on another 10 years to be um, served consecutively for mm-hmm. the, um, beating of his wife, basically. Right. Um, and yeah, so he sent us to 30 years. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. Going. All so right, we, so have a, we haven't had a wine recess. I'm thirsty. <laughs> we have not had a wine recess because honestly, in this case, we could literally keep talking about this for like I'm two sweating. more hours. I'm sweating. Two more hours. Sweating. Okay, so... But I'm going to take one little sip and then, okay. oh, then we'll I know. Up. Like we are, I know they're honestly, uh, this case, this case. Okay. So he's now, all- he is now gets 20 years plus 10 tacked on. He goes to prison. And then when is he released? Cause when- the guy, guys, oh. he is not, he is not in prison anymore. Right. So, yeah, he's supposed to do 30 years with the possibility of parole. And because of the parole law of overcrowding in Texas, he was released in August of 2019. Served 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. He's a sick son of a bitch. And the interview, if like you get a chance to watch him be interviewed. It is, it's disturbing because he even says that he manipulated the system. He's like, who wouldn't? I know. I know. He is on parole till 2036, but I mean, whatever, I'm sure he'll do something effed up by then, but yeah, he's out there. So watch out guys. His name yeah, watch out for Joseph Hatley. Watch out for Joseph Hatley. Come get me. <laughs> <laughs> You're on parole, Joseph. Remember that. Scotty. <laughs> Scotty. Oh, yeah, Scotty. Yeah. And if you come kill us, they're coming for you first. We know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, this is a creep. Again, like Jamie and I said, we could literally sit here and talk about Joseph Hatley and like his interviews and his demeanor and then i remember like they were giving him a chance to say he was sorry on a couple of his interviews and he's like well i'm sorry if i like hurt someone but i mean my god because sociopaths they can never say like i am sorry for what i did right Mm -hmm. they can't say it they just can't fucking say it for whatever reason and it's it's creepy to watch Go look him up. He, I believe he's still in Round Rock, right, Jamie? 
I think so. I think so. I don't know. Now, I okay, don't quote me on but, that, but I know he's in Texas. I do know he's in Texas. He has to stay in Texas because of his parole. So I think he's still in Round Rock, but we'll have to check on that. Okay, Jamie. Right. Well, anything else you want to mention about this case? Again, there was just so many moving parts, but thankfully, thankfully, it was solved for her family's sake um i feel i just feel that it's so sad that he only served 12 years and it took over 20 to find him he did less time than this his her poor ex-husband lived for 20 years i guess being innocent and this jackass got 20 years of living his life However the hell he wanted for being a murderer and then only did 12 years for what he actually did. And then the, the, that I feel so bad for her ex-husband. Like I can't even. Oh, I told you my heart. heart breaks. Breaks. I know. I know. Nobody should live that way. And really we need to really look. I mean, I know overcrowding is a problem. I know that prisons have their own battles that they fight consistently with overcrowding, with with. Um, convictions that are questionable on whether they should actually be in for that amount of time. I think there needs to be a whole revamp of just the prison system itself, you know, of making sure that these people actually pay. I mean, mean, this guy is actually sitting there being interviewed, telling us like how he did it. And like why he did it and how he staged the bathroom scene. I mean, why are we even giving him that? Like, I don't even know why they wanted to give him that. Mm. And nobody wants his fucking apology. I don't know. Who, I, I mean, who's he? Because- I mean, is he sorry he ruined Michael Wood's life for 20 years? Or he was just hoping he would get, he would t- he would get the fall and he would be the one sitting in prison. Like, these are the kinds of things that just irritate me about our system and just and just public in general of just um, when it comes to like criminalization and criminalizing people and an innocent until proven guilty. That is not how Michael Woods felt. That's not the way that they treated him. And so it's just such a double standard. Yeah. He was the complete opposite, man. They, they, they were determined to make him the suspect no matter what. And then I'm with you. I don't understand. I I know they want to get this other guy, you know, the, the jail mate or the, the, um, cellmate, his roommate or whatever, the cellmate. Thank you. Yeah. That, you know, they wanted to get his crime because apparently that was more important, but when, how is that more important than locking this son of a bitch up? That's also beat three people and may now possibly go on to beat or kill multiple other people. Like, is it just the system is so overloaded that we can't take time to, you know, you had this guy. I know. It was a done shut, like, clean case. Like, it's so crazy to me. And then you've got even her friend Cindy said she can't believe this guy walked and you've got people locked up for, like, small amounts of drugs for their whole entire life. And you let this guy out. Like, oh, my God, I can't. I know. I know. It was, which is probably why we never took a wine recess. We never really even had a recess discussing <laughs> this case. This case just really 
I mean, it's, I'm real. I'm, I'm so happy. I drank for, the whole time. I know. I'm really, I'm glad they have answers. I'm glad he was caught. It's unfortunate that other people suffered more than he did. I mean, and not, and I'm not even talking about the victim. I'm talking about people that just had to suffer through all of this. Um, and, and it's just, it, I, I really think sometime that we, and maybe, maybe throughout the country, but I know Texas for sure needs to really kind of take a look at what they're doing with the, with these criminals and, and what they're sentencing them to, why there's overcrowding, what is caused, because this kind of thing should not go on. We hear this all the time about, you know, oh, someone killed and murdered someone after their fifth DWI. Really? 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 Like, do we have, I mean, when is enough enough, right? When was this guy enough? They didn't want to believe the girl that he raped and beat in the park. You know, she was a 16 year old girl, by the way. Twice. Yeah, twice. 16 year old girl who, and, and nobody, now, now I will say that the prosecutor in the case with that, with that girl believed her. She was credible. That's what they knew was credible. But he tried to say it was, it was consensual. It was just rough. You know, we have to start really kind of looking and focusing on these and, and not shine and not giving them the time of day um, to be on television and, and be like, yeah, it was me. Well, I've already served my time. It was me. And I just get in a fit of rage. Every female he came in contact with put him in a fit of rage. Okay, we can stop victim blaming now and quit blaming them for putting themselves in compromising situations, which is exactly what I think they tried to do with Susan at first. But her friends came to the defense and said, no way. This girl would have never brought a stranger home. She didn't put this on, bring this to herself or do anything to make this happen. We have to stop that. And and, and again, I'm just so irritated that they even gave him the time of day to tell his story. I don't think he deserved it. No, I don't either. I don't either, but. And how do we even believe him? Again, it's a story against someone who is deceased. Susan and him are the only ones in the house. Okay. How do we even know? And yes, we know what the evidence points to, but his elaborate story of like why he was there, what happened, this is what I did. Here's how I stage it. Like it could be a bunch of some of that could just be total bullshit because he's a sociopath and they elaborate and make it their themselves bigger and grander than they really are. And I think it was just such ugh, to the family. If I saw that interview, I would be disgusted. Yeah. Oh, I'd be so angry. So, 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 so angry. I mean, he, because you can tell by the way that he tells it, it's just even more sickening and weird. Like he just sits there and is like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I was a horrible blah, 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 you know, and I, you know, and if, if you didn't interview me, you talk bad about me. If you do interview me, you're going to talk bad about me. So I just need to come out and I'm like, dude, can we just have like euthanized today? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want. That's what you do to humans. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Joseph Hatley, you, uh, you. That's too, that's too. (laughs) 
He's had enough. He he's had enough of our time. We're not giving Joseph Hatley any more yeah. of our time. Yeah. So Jamie, that concludes <laughs> episode he's gonna seven. Get, yeah. No, go ahead. He's gonna get his. Oh, we know. I was just gonna say he'll get his time. We know. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. It all comes full circle, guys. All comes full circle. So that will conclude episode seven of season two, the Stephenville murder. If you want to see pictures related to this case, you can find them on our Instagram and Facebook page, Texas Wine and True Crime. All right, Jamie. Well, we are drinking two separate wines, but you know what? We were talking about these wines even before our show and how much we were already we were already sipping. I've got a wedding to go to. Jamie just has a day of um, uh, <laughs> Jamie has a day of electricity and water in her house. Finally, after after this Texas craziness. So um, she's sipping on a good wine. I can finally do laundry. Yay, laundry, <laughs> clean clothes. So we are giving our wine five corks today. Yep, that's it. Five corks. We will post the name of our wines um, on our website with this case. So June, thank you at Salado Winery for being so cool and sending us some wine. By the way, June grew these grapes, um, this wine that I'm drinking. She grew these herself. So she uh, made a little video on Instagram of how proud oh. she was of that. So uh, June, you should be proud because it is delicious. And check out our friends at Salado online. They can ship right now anywhere in Texas. Uh, Jamie and I love supporting small businesses. We are business and entrepreneurs ourselves. So if you want to hear your name and company on our show, just email us at team at com, and we can tell you how to bring awareness to your business. So it's time for our organization. Jamie, who are you bringing to light this week for us? Well, this has been like a really bizarre week. I couldn't really pick one organization, to be honest with you. I feel like if you have it in your heart to reach out, just Google anything Texas related. I know a lot of um, people have their opinions about (laughs) how stuff went down here in Texas and our whole electrical and everything. But I mean, there are so many people that are suffering from not having power and water. I mean, it really has, and now it's bursting pipes and flooding and there's just a lot guys. There's a lot. Brandy and I are very, very fortunate. Um, my power came back on Wednesday. So that was great for me. And I can't imagine what it was like for those people. There's still like over 140,000, I think at least homes, that's just yeah. homes. So that's, you're looking into, you know, three, 400,000 people that still yeah. don't have power, still don't have water. And then you've got people dealing with all the other mess. So I, okay. I mean, just with the pandemic and then this on top of that. So if there, if anything, you know, if you can donate to a food bank or send water or just check on your neighbors, blankets, check on clothes, people, blankets, clothes. You know, yeah. You can go anything. to any of the, the organizations, um, yeah, anything. Just, anything. you know, don't need a dollar. <laughs> yeah, just give something. I agree, Jamie. That's a, a I had no idea you were going to do that today and that is a great idea. Just we all have our favorite organizations to give to, whether it's food, whether it's, you know, I took my sister and the kiddos in because I was fortunate enough to not lose electricity or water through this ordeal. So, um, you know, it was it was tough for everyone. So just be a giver, reach out, see how you can help, whether it's just your time um, or dollars are already, always appreciated. 
All right. Well, it's been fun. And guys, we are sorry if there are some quality issues <laughs> with this because I will tell you, besides bringing you awesome content, our sound quality is something Jamie and I really, really take pride in. So does our engineer, my husband, who made this happen for us today. So um, we hope you, uh, thanks for thanks for bearing through it. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope we will be back next week um, as usual at our regular time and at our regular table drinking the same wine. So until next time, friends, stay safe. Have fun and cheers to next time. I'm knocking on my wine glass because we're not even here to cheers. <laughs> Bye, guys.